With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Zach's trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sixth and inside. A thunderous dunk. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live via Zoom, is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you to Yosh322 in the YouTube chat. Shouting out the new Cavs swag. <laughs> got to show off the new shirt. It's we, so we've, pretty. We've got the old and new right now. The I've old got the and old the hoopy new. and you got the new one, man. I, 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 I love me a skinny V uh in the end and uh and the, with the you know the the little cut off on on the edge that Carter, uh, you know, I'll be differentiates honest. the new from the old I'll be honest nobody has looked better in the new Cavs logo than Ochai Abashi. my oh, goodness it, it is that a handsome man he is it all a handsome looks great <laughs> how how you doing buddy it, it's been a it's been a minute since the draft we've had some time to kind of digest everything uh, we were absolutely exhausted at, at the end of the spaces and and podcasts that we did on Thursday night. How are you feeling? Yeah, I, I think it, I've had some time to settle in on the draft. I think, um, I mean, should we just talk through it? Should we just talk through how we're feeling in the macro about, you know, the way uh, how it ended up playing out? Because I, I, I think, like, obviously we can dive into some of the second round picks, which we did not talk about last week because, frankly, we needed a little bit of time. Mm-hmm. Um, to, and, and to also go. we finished recording before those picks were even made. Yes. Um, but I think in the macro, I think it was a solid draft for the Cavs, but not, but one that maybe left me a little bit colder than I wanted, uh, to feel. Um, mm-hmm. I think that just, I, I, as you well know, I fell desperately in love with Jalen Williams and he went off the board yeah. way before anyone thought, um, I mean, people are talking about 14 being a reach for Williams. So the Thunder <laughs> trading three firsts, which, by the way, love it for OKC. Um, I, I think this was the only palatable way for them to use their bevy of four billion first round picks is mm-hmm. to uh, like I think people th- like thought they were going to use them to like trade up to the first overall pick. But like that's impossible. So you yeah. have to just overpay to to trade back into drafts or or to. Um, you know, find you know, find ways to move up seven or eight spots. So big shouts to them for kind of doing the best thing they could do with their somewhat depreciated assets. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, so Williams off the board, Jeng's off the board. So really it kind of came down to Baji versus Griffin. If you were a huge Griffin fan, you're probably really upset. If you weren't or were a little cooler, then you know, you're fine with Igbaji. You know, he's definitely the lower upside play, but uh, the more reliable play, the guy who's because um, yeah, you know, for all the best shooter in college talk that Griffin has, he has a really weird form that's super duper wide base that you're just wondering like, is this gonna work? Mm-hmm. Um, and and injury issues. So I get the Igbaji pick. Um, I think the second round, it's it's weird to let the second round ever make you cold in a draft. Um, I think we just all thought more was coming when they bought that uh, that extra second that became Isaiah Mobley. And, you know, based on the reporting, they tried to, mm-hmm. to combine their picks to move up and uh, no deals really became available. And that's frustrating because the Cavs are, have a ton of roster spots already accounted for. So I feel like they kind of felt like they had to go 
draft and stash a couple of folks in Khalifa Jop and Luke Travers and say, hey, maybe in a couple of years you can come over um, <laughs> because they just didn't have room. And I think that's a byproduct of them doing good in the last couple of years in the second round and undrafted players. Guys like Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade, in my opinion, are just better than a guy like EJ Liddell right now. Yeah, uh, and you, I'm you not talk high me, on you EJ talked me through that in real time because I I was kind of going for hey Liddell's still here that's a really interesting opportunity and you were kind of correcting me in real time saying are we confident that he's going to be better than Dean Wade or Lamar Stevens like Dean Wade uh, like even going back to our draft coverage that year uh, Trevor Magnotti was saying that he was a first round talent that fell because of some injuries that he had in college but we now have proof of concept when it comes to him and we know that he's someone that's going to stay ready to, uh, he can fill in in those roles so I, I kind of understand that I think it's natural to feel some disappointment because when you saw that trade for that additional second round pick I think the logical conclusion and, and the reporting has kind of backed this up is oh they're going to position themselves to potentially move back into the first round. And I think there was a combination of factors. You see some of the reporting saying that future first round picks were also required in addition to the seconds. I think another major factor, and probably the biggest one, is that the players still available in kind of that mid to late 20s where you might be able to trade back into it weren't players that they felt were yeah, worth. Dale and Terry didn't fall to 23. Right. D Dale and Terry goes at 18, much higher than expected. Uh, Marjan Beauchamp uh, goes uh, pretty early to the Bucks. Really like that fit. Uh, I am kind of excited to see how that plays out. But it basically seems like, hey, the Ty Ty Washington didn't seem worth it to them. And some of the prospects available in that range didn't seem worth it. And I... I, as disappointing as it is to process, at the same time, it's kind of like in poker when you bet the blind, you see the flop, and it's not good. You're not pot committed just because you bet the blind. Sometimes you have to fold them. You got to know when to fold them, Carter. And you got uh, to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, it's kind of funny uh, because some of this post-draft coverage has been, oh, the Cavs are no longer in a position where they want to take a swing. And I don't know if that's my takeaway here because there was reporting that uh, I believe Brian Windhorst, Chris Fedor have reported that there was efforts to trade up to 11. Obviously, they weren't going to give up three first round picks uh, to, to move up to 11. Um, but you'd have to assume that's to take a swing on a guy like uh, Jalen Williams or Usman Jang, right? But when you get to 14 and all of a sudden your options are a little bit different, you have to kind of weigh what is the upside of the swing because taking a swing, no one's going to think of it that way in two, three years. Like if you draft AJ Griffin, ignore the medicals and kind of do what I was advocating for, you have to face the very real possibility that, hey, this just doesn't work out. And if AJ Griffin's knees are bad or if he isn't uh, the player uh, that some of us think he could be or th that his upside may be at a certain level, if he doesn't hit that plateau, no one's going to say, well, you know, the Cavs had to take a swing. It's, oh, my goodness, they, they missed an opportunity to add a player. And I, I think both of us throughout the coverage, from the start of the draft coverage to the end, said, Abaji is someone that we feel pretty confident is at the very least going to be a rotation player. And who knows? Like, it's going to come down to player development. We said that over and over and over again. And I think that's really true when it comes to Abaji. Like, even though he is an older prospect, he's still getting with pro trainers for the first time. And he's someone that has got better every single year uh, throughout his career. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I said from the beginning, even when Igbaji, you know, started slipping down my board a little bit after my initial, you know, straight up insane infatuation was I'd be fine with Igbaji being the pick and he was, and I'm fine with it. Like yep. it's kind of that simple. Um, <clears throat> the age thing is scary. Uh, you know, everything, the, the pieces that he does bring do need to be there because I think the stuff that's not there, uh, you know, in terms of the, the playmaking, I don't know if that's going to come. Uh, but with that said, I think it's a very solid pick and, you know, and if I think the combination of, uh, of, a you know, a high floor pick at 14 and then just the weirdness of that second round, just put people in a bad spot but again, like, and, and by the way, and I'm sorry to go back to the Lamar Stevens, Dean Wade point with the, with, you know, adding additional players that aren't on two ways. Like Isaiah Mobley is reportedly going to be joining on per Chris Fedor, uh, or at least that's the current, um, uh, idea uh 
is it's not just that you have to pick who you think is better uh you know uh between an ej liddell let's say it's him or uh or dean wade or lamar stevens you have to cut bait with one of those players yeah who have been culture built in the in the form of dean wade his contract's reported to be uh fully guaranteed this year lamar is reported to be non-guaranteed but you literally like said like in post games this guy is the heart and soul of our team he's got that dog in him carter yeah i've it, seen it, the x-rays yes so like it, it is there are so many uh repercussions of choices like that that have to be considered um and you know sure there's other role players that you know just frankly have higher reported cap numbers that you know maybe people are more ready to move on from but it's not always that easy to do that and mm. you know so i i think that the second round is it was i mean i'm not you know it, it's tough with draft and stashes these days because you don't know when they're going to come over or if they're going to come over but uh, no, honestly way, no what my hope is when it comes to draft and stash is that they show enough promise overseas that a team cares about them enough to have them included in a trade in the future like that's that's my hope um i i think it's worth noting both adam spinella and I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name but uh locked on Cavs had a draft expert on after uh both of them have said that they feel like halifa diop is going to be an NBA player and, and can be a backup in a couple of years. So I know absolutely nothing about him. We are out of draft season, we're, so I'm not. Yeah, we're going to see him I'm, in I'm, summer league, which yeah, will be we really are going fun. to see him in summer league, which is going to be really fun. But um, if you can get a cost control big for in two three years down the road, when other aspects of the roster become more expensive, that's interesting. Like that, that could be a, a really productive play. But in the meantime, you get a stash guy and. One one other gripe. I, I've got three gripes, Carter. The the first was the. When are not, we going to talk Mobley? We got, we're we're going to talk, talk Mobley in a second. Okay. We're going to talk okay. Mobley in a second. But first gripe was the Cavs no longer willing to take swings. Number two was the whole finished product thing with Abaji. Um, first of all, Kobe Altman said more of a finished product, not calling him a finished product. Other thing I'll point out is four of the last nine players to win most improved player in the NBA came into the NBA as 22-year-old rookies. And a whole bunch of the uh, runners-up uh, within those years were either 22 or older. Buddy Heald, at 24 years old as a rookie, uh, got into that most improved conversation. So typically when you draft an older rookie, I, I think it's unwise to expect massive changes to their game. Like I, I don't think Abaji's all of a sudden going to become Kyrie Irving with his handle. But you can get better and more productive and have a better understanding of the game and, and kind of refine the existing skills you have and become a more productive player. To, so to call him a finished product, I think is unwise. My final gripe, Carter, before we get into the rest of the picks, people, I, I understand this. Like when we talked about like Jalen Williams and we say, well, you know, he only made 43 uh, three pointers in college the last year, but the free throw numbers are good. Free throws numbers are a very good indication when you're talking about a low volume called shooter that might indicate that he shows some touch, that he can develop a three point shot in the future. It is not something that can disprove a larger sample of threes than free throws. And I've seen this with Abaji. What we're talking about over the last two years is him taking about 453 at 39%. That is not a sample size that can be disproven by 100 free throws at like 75%. People need to calm down with this whole free throws mean more than three-pointers. It does not when you're talking about three times the sample size on made threes versus free throws. Um, yes, uh, completely agree with you there. And I think there is just that degree of... The, I, I'm sympathetic to that that vibe from Igbaji skeptics just insofar as you hear best shooter in the draft, you don't expect 74% free throw shooting yeah. and if you are looking for red flags it is one it, mm -hmm. it's a it's a factor that it's a data point that's got to be considered i think like to me my bigger concern with the shooting is that i just don't believe in anyone shooting i'm like very like i'm very nihilistic about this yeah um uh, in my in my analysis of prospects historically which is basically it's so hard to be a good shooter in the nba the line being uh, you know a couple feet further back Ain't nothing, guys. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a reason uh, college play-by-play -play announcers go absolutely bananas when players hit NBA range threes <laughs> yeah, uh, right. in college games. It's hard. Uh, J.J. Redick did not have a good first couple years shooting the basketball. Yeah. Um, the athleticism, the closeouts are better. Um, 
the spacing's better, but the closeouts are better. The pressure is higher. And I, you know, I always assume there's going to be an adjustment period to the NBA three. That's not always the case. Yeah, that's fair. Um, but like, so like, I just, I, unless you are literally, I mean, Dylan Windler, I mean, a guy who has not shot a good three point percentage or nearly the elite shooter that we thought he'd be. And you know, a lot of that is due to injuries, but my point is shooting is less of a defined trait as we think it is. And my biggest concern with Ibaji, even though I think it was a perfectly worthwhile risk to take, is if he's not a great shooter that can sprint off a pin down and 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 you know hit a three off the curl on the left wing, then are the other deficiencies going to seem worse? So I feel that there is a degree of concern that I have with every reputed shooter when shooting is a very big part of what's going to make them successful Mm -hmm. because it's just so hard to play nba basketball and be a good shooter in the nba because it's just it's just hard (laughs) i do think what i'm not worried about by the way is actually the defense do i think he's isaac okoro no um and i think people are on ball at that age yeah and i think some people kind of think he's got like like I think some of the optimists think they're getting, oh, we're gonna have the Okoro defense, but with a guy who can shoot. And I'm like, ah, uh, no, Okoro is an absolute monster on ball. Um, but I do think there is a huge difference in the role that Ibaji played for Kansas and the role Isaac played in Auburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ibaji was a had had to work hard on both ends of the floor and was you know the best player on the best team in college basketball. And, and I'm and excited now he's gonna to have see. a much easier role with Darius. Carlin. Yes. Yes, yeah. I'm excited to see kind of how he can reinvest some energy on the defensive end, knowing that he's here to play a role um, at this point. But I do want to talk about Isaiah Mobley because yes. I actually I'm I got uh, pre grumpy and then uh, then smug uh, in 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 short order uh, about the I've, Mobley. I've never pick. seen you go through that process, Carter. Oh, I know you haven't. But you know, like I, I you know the second he was picked. The joke started rolling, especially from some Cavs fans, some of the more ne- negative Cavs fans. They're like, oh, you're just, you know, the Nassus Anadokounmpo, J.R. Smith's brother, like, this is a nepotism pick. Guys, this kid can play basketball. Yeah. He is, he was the best player on USC. He was the best passer on USC playing the big. This guy has a very similar basketball brain to Evan Mobley. He doesn't have the body of Evan Mobley or the athleticism of Evan Mobley, but he can think the game at a very, very high level. He's tall. He's got length. I think people are going to be really, really surprised at how capable of a player Isaiah Mobley is. I uh, Adam Spinella had him 40th on his big board. Yeah. Uh, Sam Vecini uh, was very high on him as well. I, I won't pretend to have done a 60-player big board. But like I definitely, <laughs> from what I've seen, I see a guy who has a very, very good chance of being a contributing NBA player. Um, uh, his his uh, his brother, uh, notwithstanding. I, so I, I went from grumpy at some of the nepotism jokes straight into like, huh, wait till people actually see this guy play because he's pretty freaking good. Well, Carter, I've I've never been in that type of a mode, you know, feeling smug no, about no, that knowing something that other people don't know uh, about certain players. I mean, some people will compare guys to DJ Augustine and, and they just <laughs> players... Darius, Darius ever hears about this, this is not going to bode well for me. <laughs> and you deserve all of it. I agree. I I think Isaiah Mobley's absolutely going to be an NBA player. You're talking about someone that can guard both the 4 and the 5, has very good defensive instincts, understands verticality, uh is a much better shooter. Uh, not not the same level of athlete. Um, but he is a brilliant passer as well, and those two have played together. I think, honestly, um, kind of the, the reporting about him being on a two-way, getting those reps with a charge, I think that's going to be perfect to start the year. You go down there, you understand the system, you get to practice uh, with, with the Cavs as well. One of the advantages of having that team in town, uh, get familiar with the defensive systems, because at the end of the day, like, Def, uh, center is basically the captain of the defense, right? Like you are quarterbacking it. You're basically the point guard of the defense. And that takes time to learn. But it would not surprise me if by the tail end of the, the season, you're able to get solid minutes out of him, similar to what we saw with other guys that got called up last year, like Brandon Goodwin and other players that filled in a role. I can absolutely see Isaiah Mobley being a NBA player and a quality backup for the Cavs moving forward. So I think this is an objectively 
good pick. I would have, I, I was high on Mobley. We, we talked about him uh, prior to the draft. And if another team would have picked him, I think that he could be a very helpful player for them. Kind of in that Al Horford type of mold, obviously not the same talent as Al Horford, but you know, a, a similar archetype. So I'm, I'm, I'm such a believer, Justin. I mean, this is uh, I've got Adam Spinella's video up. Um, uh, if you're watching on YouTube and average the same assist per, per 40 as Jaden Ivey and Paolo Bancaro at the Ooh. five. Like this guy can pass out of the short roll. He can make skip passes. He can play the two big high low. Um, he can hit trailer threes. Mm-hmm. Um, he can he can uh, dr- he can dribble and pass, uh, which I'm. that sounds like a silly statement, but most people at 6'10", 6'11", cannot dribble the ball with a head of steam and hit a shooter in the corner. And yeah. Isaiah Mobley can. I just, honestly, I think he's got a very, very real chance of becoming the backup five of the future for the Cavs. Yeah. And, and like, I don't say that lightly. Uh, like, I think that it's it's definitely, uh, you know, a role that's gonna he's going to have to earn. But, like, I think he can do it. I And, like... I know that the second round pick margin for error is it, it's a it's a challenge to say the least. But like it, I just I just believe in this kid. I think I really think I, I might be higher on Isaiah Mobley, especially within the context of this Cavs team, than like I think I'm in like the ninetieth ninety fifth percentile for optimism <laughs> on on this kid. I'm I'm pretty high on him too. I'm I'm excited. I obviously we going past the basketball from a vibe standpoint it's awesome to have him around obviously they i think they're pretty comfortable with kind of what his family's all about and uh obviously it's cool that both evan and isaiah have played together with every at every single level they got chemistry together that's going to matter if you're talking about him realizing his potential and uh earning a spot as a consistent nba player at at that point in the draft like that's a great swing to take for just about any team and I, I think it's an even better one for the Cavs so I was very excited with that um to, to circle back just a little bit before we move on from the draft picks um I think the points you raised about the shooting with Abashi and basically any prospect are very fair I'm here for fair criticism I just thought the free throw aspect was a little stupid the one thing I'll note though is I think the most important thing for him is being a willing shooter and having that gravity, especially year one. Uh, You look at Lowry Markinen as an example, and he didn't shoot great last year. Like he shot just under 36%. uh, But when you look at adding him to the Garland, Allen, and Mobley lineup, it took them from a plus 1.5 net rating to a plus 12.2 net rating. And that had a lot to do with kind of the spacing and the willingness to shoot. And when you're talking about Abaji's ability to hit contested shots, which he did throughout college, uh, willing to at least take those, those movement shots. I think that's going to, no matter how he produces individually, I think that kind of action and what he can bring to the table is going to make the lineups more than the sum of their parts, which I, I think is really, really important and one of the keys to the Cavs' success last season. I think I said this in our Discord. If he is as good or better of a shooter uh, as Lowry this year, then it it's a hit. It's yeah. it's at minimum a single, uh, probably ve- veering towards a double. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, if and that act, and that bar is not that high. To your point, like Lowry hit, you know he was a pretty okay volume three point shooter last year. Yep, uh, he had real hot stretches that really dragged that percentage up. He also had really cold stretches. So if Agbaji can can hit that benchmark, like I think that's kind of my my if you were to ask me what my hope for him is at least Lowry as a shooter. Yeah. But process over volume, results volume and percentage. Yeah. But Pro- process I, over results. Like if he's a willing shooter and he's doing the things that uh the coaching staff wants him to do, I think their Cavs are going to be in a really really good spot. Carter, I am so happy though to put this draft behind us. I, I think I'm higher on Abaji than you. Uh, you are obviously a massive Isaiah Mobley fan, although we're both in on him. So that's a lot I, of fun. I, I recognize the possibility that I'm going to look really stupid with Isaiah Mobley, but like you're not supposed to fawn over a second round pick like this, but I, I just really like him as a player. 
you know, it's okay. No, no one's going to remember anything we say anyways at the end of the day. But I'm happy to put the draft behind us because let's be honest, it's not our biggest strength. I'd actually like to thank all of the listeners that reach out to us after the draft coverage that just saying that you really enjoyed it and we helped you kind of guide, guide you guys through that. Uh, it was really, really appreciated because I, I don't feel like that's our sweet spot. But Carter, we are getting back into the sweet spot in a big way this week on the podcast because we get to talk rotations we get to talk uh free agent possibilities we get to talk basketball philosophy i'm very excited but before we get into all that we do have a little bit of business uh to discuss uh colin sexton was extended the qualifying offer today the Cavs confirmed making him a restricted free agent no big surprise there Same with R.J. Nemhard. R.J. Nemhard did as well. Uh, I think it's important to note Brandon Goodwin no longer eligible for a two-way contract, so uh, that's something worth considering. Um, But I I would assume that Nemhard and Mobley would be the front runners to get those two uh, two two-way spots. Um, Also, some interesting stuff around the NBA, um, especially when it comes to Colin Sexton, was draft night was a little... uh, little interesting uh, from the Sexton leverage standpoint because a lot of those teams, whether it be Detroit, Indiana, Washington, San Antonio, all of them added guards in the draft and, and used high picks to do so. Uh, so that's very interesting. Um, I kind of assumed with Jalen Dern being in Detroit that that took them out of the DeAndre Aiden sweepstakes. Although Jonathan Gavoni on uh, Zach Lowe's podcast did mention he may still go to Detroit because he wants to play power forward interesting does Once, detroit want him to play power forward i i think detroit wants talent man like uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. i don't know about this one carter this is just another example of the Cavs really setting a tone and everyone wanting this twin tower philosophy you know they they see the future of the nba and it's wine and gold uh, the Cavs supersized forward doesn't mind contact though uh. <laughs> that's true that's very true i i also thought it was interesting uh gavoni had noted um and, and this i think this was actually just kind of a interesting anecdote and good for everyone to keep in mind when it comes to off season and rumor season um he mentioned that in talking to front offices he says they usually have about 40 to 60 versions of trades being discussed at any given time if one leaks that doesn't exactly tell you that they would even do the deal or where it is on their priority list so it is about to be silly season. I think we need to take everything into context and understand that there's a lot of rumors. There's a lot of uh, sides trying to get leverage in every single discussion. Uh, so just take everything with a grain take of a salt. Breath, the next guys. Couple this is going to get wild. <laughs> it's going to uh, get yeah, a little I, nutty. So I, I think you are 100% right. Um, uh, the A lot of the Sexton suitors, um, you know, loaded up at the two yard spot yep. there's just no way around it spurs took branham uh pacers uh added kind of a a, a couple wings as well yep um the matherin's a, a big shooting guard in my yep. eyes i would agree uh jaden ivy uh, obviously uh, is kind of the two of the future um mm-hmm. in detroit and kind of lets them play kate at the one which is like the dream for them uh and johnny davis alongside beal in washington yep so like you just start seeing the the spots dry up and it's going to be a really interesting negotiation Mm -hmm. yeah because the Cavs have this you know and and guys you have to remember uh that this is a pup this is a negotiation it's not personal but it is personal (laughs) and and the cold logical uh GM that only if you think that the best move for Kobe Altman is to say, all right, uh, Colin, whatever your best offer is, go get it and we'll match it. Like that's fine. And you might save some money, but there are humans at play here. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be a really interesting dance for Kobe of how much do I offer knowing that the marketplace is a little bit, uh, you know, drier than maybe Colin's team thought it was going to be, uh, what kind of term, what kind of money, uh, and then Colin has to figure out, like, hey, do do I think I'm going to get better than that? And you know, you have ego involved here. Uh, and and by the way, it's okay for ego to be involved here. Yeah. Um, people act like that's a bad thing. Like, you ever try to negotiate for uh, for a new job with with your new with a new company? Yeah, you take it personal what they offer you, and that makes perfect sense. So yeah. it's going to be I, really. I, I like the uh, the. <laughs> Bomani Jones anecdote about every time he negotiates with ESPN, he tells his agent not to let him know what the offers were until the third round of negotiations because he knows the first two are going to make him so offended he can't work with them anymore. 
Correct. So, it, it, so I, I think it's going to be interesting. I think if you were just to say gut outcome, I think they'd land somewhere, you know, near where Colin, where the reported numbers have been with some decent term, uh, you know, a, a number that's fair, but doesn't, you know, limit the Cavs ability to do things moving forward. But I still think Colin's back for, for, you know, on a multi-year deal. If, mm-hmm. if, if you were to, you know, ask me, what I think will happen and what I think should happen. Yeah. Which and, and shows I, that I believe in you, Kobe. <laughs> and and I, I think it's important to note, uh, Fedor did report that his sense is not that this is going to be necessarily like an ugly negotiation or that the Cavs would come in with a low ball. Like they value Colin. They, they respect Colin. I mean, Kobe said at the Abashi press conference, like everyone knows how they feel about him. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if this gets resolved quickly. I would love a resolution here because I, I hate this as a topic. I, I It's just... It, it's gone on for so long. Um, yeah, if, that, if we if you think we were eager to get the draft done so we could stop speculating, <laughs> I'm so eager to see a, a deal get done. Uh, and I think it's important to note for everybody that's kind of either new to this process or just doesn't have a firm understanding. Uh, if a player signs an offer sheet with a team, you cannot orchestrate a sign and trade from that point on. It's either match or don't. Sign and trades are negotiated prior to the signing of an offer sheet. So I, I think that's a really important thing to kind of get everybody aware of on the front end here. Yeah, I want to ask you, because um, I, I know my answer, but does the does the drafting of Ibaji affect your Colin Sexton negotiations much at all or your interest in bringing him back? No, I, I think Abaji, and, and we talked about this last week, but I, I think he works with basically every combination of guys. I agree with Kobe's assessment that I, I think he's more of a big two uh, than he is like a true small forward. But the main thing with the Cavs has been the fact that they value skill sets over position, right? And making lineups work as a collective. So even though Abaji is a big two, he very easily can play the three uh, for this roster. I mean, at the end of the day, Lowry marketing is a four and only a four, and he still ended up playing a ton of small forwards. So uh, the selection of Abaji wouldn't impact my feelings of Colin Sexton. I think he works well with him. I, I think you can make a lot of lineups work there. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I, I think you just got to retain talent. Like, and, and that's my biggest thing. If a big sign and trade offer came through and, and addresses a different position of need, that's one thing. But I, I, I wouldn't let the selection of Abaji influence my decision making there. I, I completely agree. Um, I think that Ibaji certainly can play minutes at the three. I think Isaac can cert- I We spent an entire season watching Isaac play minutes at the three. It was pretty fine. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was like a, a, an abject disaster. And Lowry was successful at the three. So, like, you look at, you know, they, they have enough to, to fill that position. Do they have a 6'8", you know, Nick Batum-sized wing right now? No. But mm-hmm. that... It, I just don't, I think it is an unreasonable uh, panic. What they didn't have last year prior to the Karras trade was an, enough 6'5 to 6'7 players they could count on in the wing. They have and Karras I think, now, honestly, they have a they lot. They have Isaac. Like, they have Agbaji. I, I think people and, wanted and them to take a, a swing for one in the second round and see if it could work. But at the end of the day, is anyone in the second round that kind of fits that mold earning time at small forward over Larry, over Abaji, over Coral, over Wade, over uh, it's the Jetty. Same roster Jetty's spot, still yes. there. Like, there's a lot of guys that can play minutes there that I feel comfortable with, especially if the rest of the roster is healthy. So, yeah, I don't think there's a long-term solution at small forward yet, although I would say maybe Abaji uh, could play there as he continues to fill out and whatnot. Um, but especially with this roster, like when, when you're talking about a guy that's six, six in shoes, six, 10 wingspan, strong with Mobley and Allen, I think that's five and three quarters, Justin. So you have to round down so you can be pessimistic. That, that's on right. Twitter. That quarter, that quarter of an inch difference between him and uh, AJ Griffin is a, a big difference maker. As you, Who, by the way, that. we actually don't know how tall he is. Cause he didn't get measured at the comp. Yeah. That's actually a really good point. <laughs> well played Carter. Um, I do think though, moving on from sex and moving on from those questions, I think the biggest topic right now is whether or not a Ricky Rubio 
reunion would be a, a smart idea for the Cavs. I, I, I've seen a lot of debate both in our Discord and on Twitter about that, and I'd love to get your feelings on a possible Ricky reunion, Carter. Um, it is a complicated question. Uh, I, I think that I, I I've got some concerns. I guess would mm-hmm. be the 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 way to frame it. I think depending on how much it costs to bring a guy back, it's really because of the aforementioned roster crunch that the Cavs have, assuming, again, that there are no trades made, there's no consolidations or salary adjustment dumps or anything like that, they got, they're just going to run out of roster spots really fast, so it's really hard to, to invest in a, in, a, in a really important position for the team for a guy who probably won't be back till January and probably will take a minute to get going. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that, you know, if, if they had drafted, let's say an Andrew Nimhart or someone in the second round that, you know, you go, Oh, you know, we, we want to give some development reps to this guy anyway. Why not? Yeah. That makes me feel a little different, but if they're, if their backup point guard plan ends up being just as a result of this roster crunch that they have, um, if the backup point guard is Colin and Karis, some ver- combo of them, then I'm a little concerned. I won't lie to you. Yep. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Like, to me, the whole Ricky for the mid-level exception is, one, is it going to cost the full thing? Because uh, if you're able to break that up and maybe address the backup center position, you might feel a little bit better about that. But I, I think if you are signing Ricky, you have to deal with at least the possibility that he's more coach than player next year and that maybe he's in the Andre Iguodala role where he's there to help Andrew Wiggins realize his potential and uh, maybe Colin is that player this year where he, he's helping him with the playmaking and just ha- making the the existing roster better than it is. Um, I, I think I'd probably want to look at other options first. Um, someone like Kyle Anderson, even though he's not a point guard, is a very good playmaker and I would find interesting. Um, but I, I do think that if you're going through the decision-making process, you don't hit on some other targets and you want to bring Ricky back, I think I would be fine with that. I mean, from a fan standpoint, I would love Ricky back. I, I think he was one of my favorite members that we've had from just kind of a, a vibe standpoint and he brought a lot to the table. Um, but obviously we've been through the last couple of years situations where the Cavs are down to one or no point guards. And that, I, I think it's understandable for Cavs fans to be a little bit nervous about that possibility again. But Carter, I did a little bit of a research project because we, oh. w- we went through a area of that's outside of our expertise when it comes to the draft. And I thought, let's do this with a bang when it comes to evaluating the playmaking options for the Cavs. So I looked at all the available point guards, unrestricted free agent point guards, and some other options here. And I have some findings for you. So I'm going to use two metrics here. I'm going to read these definitions. They are uh, courtesy of B-Ball Index. Uh, They do a fantastic job. They've had People from that site go on to front office opportunities in the NBA. The first one is passing creation quality, Carter, which analyzes playmaking ability through the quality of scoring opportunities that a player creates for teammates through their passing. Higher caliber playmakers tend to create opportunities for teammates that are easier than a non-playmaker. Part of that comes from the offensive scoring ability. Part of that comes through the vision to see right the right player to pass to. Part of that is the execution of the passes so that it's accurate, the ball isn't turnover, and placed in a spot where the shooting player doesn't need to spend time pulling up the shot and impacting the openness of that shot. So the data for this... Are you, are you reading War and Peace right now? My I, God. I am. I'm, I'm going through these definitions first on the front end so I don't have to explain it, Carter. Not not everybody is used to these stats. We're, we're nerding out here. We're, we're getting I, I'm in, not... Uh, I, we're, we're getting into rotation stuff. So I'm da- overwhelmed. Data used to calculate passing creation quality includes location of the assists as well as the conversion rates on potential assists for those players relative to the rates for the same players passed to from other teammates or league average types of scoring looks. Leaders for this stat were Trey Young, Jokic, Curry, Luka, Lamelo, and Garland. No big surprises there. The other stat I'm using is playmaking talent which this metric uh, factors in passing creation volume, creation quality, passing versatility, passing efficiency, and a small weight given to scoring gravity. So basically, 
weighing how good they are as a playmaker on a whole, factoring in volume and all that kind of stuff. So ranking these options by playmaking talent, Carter, we have Alfred Payton, Dennis Schroeder, Dragic, Howell Neto, DJ Augustine, DeLon Wright, and way down in the 51st percentile of playmaking talent is Austin Rivers. Not a lot of great options. Payton here has the highest playmaking talent at 90, uh, the 92nd percentile, Schroeder in the 88th, Dragic in the 87th. But one thing stood out to me, Carter, when I looked up existing members of the Cavs when it comes to playmaking talent, and Karis Levert ranks higher than all free agent options in playmaking talent in the 92nd percentile and the 89th percentile in pass creation quality. Where would you guess that Colin Sexton ranks for playmaking talent in his last full season in the NBA, Carter? Uh, among that group? Yes. Second? So he actually finished just below Alfred Payton in the 89th percentile for playmaking talent and 81st percentile for pass creation quality. So Among that group? Among that group. Uh, no, I, uh, this is for the NBA as a whole. So this is including guys like Jokic. This is in the NBA, all eligible players. He was in the 89th percentile for playmaking talent and 81st for pass creation quality, setting guys up. Uh, that's encouraging. Um, go ahead. You're, you're still cooking. <laughs> I'm still cooking with gas here, Carter. Um, so when I'm looking at that, I do kind of wonder if you are able to at least utilize a lot of those guys in the second unit, maybe even Levert and Sexton together uh, to generate some playmaking opportunities. The one thing I don't think is captured in these stats, and this is where the mix of advanced analytics and actually watching the game comes into play, is both Colin Sexton and Karis Levert can get sped up at times. They can get very shot happy. They can get rushed by the impacts of the defense. And for that reason, if we were to sign someone like Ricky Rubio and count on Sexton and Levert, I think I would want to sign someone like a, a Howell Neto or DJ Augustine or even DeLon Wright. Uh, although I think Wright and Ricky would be a little tough from a cost perspective, just to have an option that JB could go to to calm guys down, to get everybody into their sets, because I think these two can work. But I do think you need to make sure that you're signing one or two other backup point guards to kind of give them a change of pace if necessary. So just a reminder to everyone, uh, the Cavs entered uh, today, as far as I know, with 11 rostered players. Mm -hmm. um, if they re-sign Colin, that takes you to 12. 13 when, for Abaji. When they sign Abaji, it takes you to 13. So assuming Isaiah Mobley signs on a two-way, which has been reported, you have two roster spots left. Um, so, and you have, um, in terms of establish, you have nobody at backup point guard right now in, mm -hmm. in the most conventional sense. And really nobody at backup five, though you could argue um, you're a little more ready to take that on because you have Evan who plays a lot of backup five. Yeah, Mo uh, Mobley and Allen play. Yeah. The, most of the center yeah. minutes. You, you pretty much get 48 minutes at, at the five between those two, where you really don't get 48 at the point guard position with someone who you're really comfortable with there. Though yeah. you've obviously made the devil's advocate case. So my expectation is that this team invests their remaining, you know, roster spots in a point guard in a center. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I actually and I think at the backup five, you know, you're definitely expecting a minimum uh, salary player, you know, a guy, yeah. you know, you've mentioned a guy like JaVale McGee, though. I wouldn't but, mind them throwing a little bit of scratch at that, though. It puts a damper at my, in my Isaiah Mobley for a future backup five campaign. M McGee uh, or like Bismack Biombo or even someone like Serge Ibaka, who, who's a good locker room presence and maybe can give you some minutes like that. That's probably what I'd be looking at if they're available for the minimum. So the problem here, Justin, is they can't do this strategy. Uh, if they sign Ricky Rubio uh, and get another point guard, like they either mm -hmm. have, if they sign Rubio and they want to start the season with a backup point guard on the roster, they either have to find a two way player like Brandon Goodwin to be a stopgap, which I think is a pretty good idea. If they can find the right guy, Goodwin was awesome for, for his role last year. 
uh, or they have to forego a backup five on the roster. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm not quite sure what the right solution is here. I mean, it, it, if you're, if you are dead set on Ricky, it forces them to make some very hard decisions. And I think that's a little bit why I'm not so dead set on Ricky because it makes you make other concessions, uh, until he comes back healthy. And even then you're still hoping he comes back where he was. Yeah. Uh, and not, and not terribly diminished. And that, that's just going to be a challenge for this team. They have, you know, you can say that this team doesn't have a ton of depth, but they have a lot in that nine through 13 rotational spot. They have guys like Jetty. They have guys like Dean Wade and Lamar Stevens. Kevin um, Love. Uh, I mean, they just have a lot of bodies that, you know, that, that you're expecting to be on this team next year mm-hmm. um, that they have, you know, you know, guaranteed money going towards. So I just am a little cold on on the Ricky thing, though I'll totally understand why they why they would do it. But to yeah. your point, I do think that if they do it, you almost have to see how Colin and Karis can do. Yeah, and, and if that is the route you go, if you are banking on the combination of Colin and Karis to get it done from a playmaking perspective, and, and you can always make adjustments throughout the course of the year and trade for one, um, or, or, you know, pivot if it's not working out. But if that is the route you go, I actually have a little bit of a proposal that I'm interested to get your thoughts on Carter. Oh, tell me about it. I don't think Evan Mobley should be the stagger backup five. I think it should be Jared Allen. I think you would want Jared Allen with Kevin Love, with Sexton and Levert, because Jared Allen is the better pick and roll player. And both of those guys are good pick and roll ball handlers. You have supplemental playmaking from Kevin Love. So you have as much experience as possible at the four or five positions. And you're also maximizing the creation ability of both Levert and Sexton as pick and roll ball handlers with Jared Allen. Whereas with the starters, when you take Sexton and Allen out of the starting lineup, if that's the way that you go to stagger, all of a sudden, let's say it's Garland, uh, Lavert. I would assume he would come in off the bench. Uh, you can switch Lavert and Sexton if you'd like. But Garland, Lavert, maybe Abaji, Lowry Markinen, and Evan Mobley. You can feel pretty confident that that lineup's going to work. And then you have that second unit, Lavert bridging over with Sexton, Lavert, uh, maybe Abaji, maybe Okoro, Love, and Allen. I think that that could make those lineups work just by switching which of Evan and Jarrett ends up acting as the backup power or backup center, I should say. So I think your logic is very strong here. Um, I think you have enough shooting in those bench mob units to to support, um, you know, uh, and, and enough supplementary playmaking between Kevin and Karis. You know, I think about what Kevin was for Colin early on in his mm-hmm. career uh, when Kevin was healthy enough to be able to be productive, um, looking a couple years back, and it was so wild when he would come on the floor uh, after you know about of you know dealing with a back injury, then you'd go, oh my god, the offense is moving, <laughs> just you know having that, that right. know how on the floor. So I I think it's a I think it's a very strong um, concept. Uh, one thing I think they like about pairing Evan and Kevin is that Evan can go guard on the perimeter a little easier than Jarrett. Yep. Um, and they can just kind of play love closer to the rim and expose his foot speed a little bit less. So I think you do lose a little bit of uh, the defensive versatility in that pairing of Evan and Kevin. Uh, but I think the, the logic holds. I think the only counter to this is what if Evan comes out and his creation gets 20% better? Yeah. Uh, and you go, oh, no, we actually want Evan to be the offensive anchor. In, on for, these for the second Ricky list units, I I mean that could work, right? And, and I think Sexton's growth as an off-ball player could help facilitate that being possible. Um, the one thing I'll say is it would also really kind of depend on, like, I, I think the effectiveness of that unit would depend on how much growth he's made as a screen setter as well. Like, I just think that's such an important element, especially for Karis Levert. You need to have a good screen setter with him. Although maybe Kevin Love can help free him up a little bit. I just think that's a little different with his tendency to pop. Um, I, I guess when it comes to Ricky and weighing the options of relying on your existing players uh, for playmaking versus maybe going a different direction, it depends on what other moves are there, right? Like if the Cavs end up 
because they have such a kind of glut at wings where you probably want Lavert, Okoro, Abaji, Sexton, like all these guys to, to get a lot of minutes at the two and three. If all of a sudden you don't have a spot available for Jetty Osman, maybe you look at a move for a TJ McConnell or you move him for an Alec Burke, someone that can play a bit of backup point guard, but also flex over to the two and maybe even the three at six, six. And maybe, maybe that kind of gives you more supplemental playmaking if the Knicks are looking to clear some long-term cap by moving off of Alec Burks. Like if you were to go for a Burks or a McConnell, obviously you feel a lot better about using the mid-level exception on Ricky Rubio because then it's basically all upside and, and there isn't the opportunity cost. Like as much as this team still needs a long-term option at the three, there's so many guys that I would prioritize playing, whether it's Abaji or Okoro, like just to get the sense of how they can play at those positions. I would prioritize giving them playing time versus taking a swing on someone like a TJ Warren, where the upside of TJ Warren, if he's able to reach his potential, is probably just innings eater at small forward. Like that's not going to be your long-term option ever at the small forward position. That's why I'm, I'm not even like... Given the fact that Lavert had a really tough situation at the end of last season, Okoro didn't make massive leaps that I think would increase his trade value, and Sexton is coming off of that injury, I just don't see the ammunition to pull off a major trade this offseason, and I'm fine with the patient approach and evaluating the guys that we do have, because I think they have the opportunity to really elevate both their trade value and also maybe potentially fill into long-term roles with the Cavs. So a uh, couple things there. You 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 machine gunned a lot of takes. I, I, I know which I, one to react to. We we've been uh, so stuck on draft stuff that now I'm just like I know diving right into this. <laughs> so uh, first thing uh, would you know I've been pining for some TJ McConnell for some time. Yeah. Uh, and you know I do think like if you make a move like that, if you go to like trade to secure a backup point guard, I do think you really shouldn't be investing in a guy like Ricky. Like McConnell has money and term for the next couple of years mm-hmm. um, playing pretty much the exact same role. You're going to ask Ricky to play uh, with that said, uh, like, you know, I do want to ask you this. Yeah. Going back to the roster con- crunch uh, kind of thing. I, I presented earlier. Let's assume Ricky is being added and uh, I'm not going to pretend to know what the num- number is going to be. So let's just not even account for that. Assume that the other, the 15th spot on the roster will be a minimum signing. Would you rather sign a second point guard with that 15th spot or a backup five with that 15th spot? Um, My, like, I, I think I'd rather go with like a Howell Neto and just have someone that we know. Howell can... Neto is too good for these conversations. Dang he it. was on a minimum contract last year, Carter. I, I know. Think, I'm I, just, I'm just joking, Justin. I, you know, I love him. I, I think I would bring him in and then maybe explore trade options uh, to, to bring in a backup five. Like even if it's cost cutting, um, like I, I do find it hard to envision a spot um, for Jetty in the rotation, just with other guys getting prioritized. It's hard to find a spot for Ibaji in the rotation, right? <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe the the solution to make the roster work is that. Kevin, uh, like Laurie plays more minutes at the four because we have more guys that can play at the three. Kevin plays at the five, but we just make sure that through rotation management that Laurie and Kevin never share the court at the same time uh, as the four or five combo. So even if Kevin loves playing as a five, it's either coming with Jared Allen or Evan Mobley. Like maybe that's the way that you can make this work. But I think I would prioritize playmaking because playmaking was not addressed in the draft. And I, I think that's perfectly fine, but there does need to be the supplemental moves. And I think I would prioritize signing someone like Howell Neto uh, along with Ricky just so that you have some insurance here in case Ricky isn't physically able to contribute in the ways that you'd hope, which I don't think is an unrealistic possibility. Um, and also banking on having like an insurance policy in place if the combination of Sexton, Levert, and secondary playmakers aren't enough to get the appropriate juice to that second unit lineup. Yeah, I think I'd lean that way too, uh, acknowledging a couple things. Uh, this is not a good, this is a tough pitch. Uh, and F- uh, Chris Fedor talked about this on his latest pod. Like, uh, if you go to Howell Neto, is like, 
hey, could you maybe play backup point guard for us if our other guys can't hack it until Ricky Rubio comes back? Like, that's not exactly the sexiest uh, pitch that has ever been given in free agency. Yeah. Um, knowing kind of where the, the, the team's priorities are. So, like, that is the one kind of mitigating factor that makes this not a great strategy where you, you can just go to, uh, you know, Sergi Bach and be like, hey, you want to play some spot minutes here and there? Uh, and... You know, because like I think if they get a decent name, like if they sign JaVale McGee, JaVale McGee is going to get eight minutes at the five. You yeah. know, like, uh, so. and, and I think uh, Evan would just play a little bit more minutes at the four in that paradigm. And, so, and like, I've I've liked other options too. Like DeLon Wright is someone that I really like for this team. You just got to spend for him. In you a way you I do have to spend for him. Possible. And I, I think that would take you out of the rookie conversation. But someone like Wright, I think is interesting. But I think like the, the real kind of goal behind me looking at the the playmaking talent grades and the pass creation quality is just because somebody was on another team and we didn't see them miss open guys and, and we haven't seen their limitations doesn't mean they are better just because they have the label of point guard like you look at delon Wright and the playmaking talent 59th percentile it's not that good I, i've pa- never been pass, as enamored with him yeah his pass creation quality others. is 26th percentile what I do like about DeLon Wright is I think he can work with Garland. I think he can work with Sexton. I think he can work with Levert. And you can make him um, an effective part of your rotation. However, I do still think you're in a position where you are leaning on the existing guys on the roster to do that playmaking because he isn't able to do that at the same level. Yeah, I, I mean, I would totally agree with that. I think uh, DeLon Wright is a, is a pick maybe in a pre-Igbaji world that I'm not as interested in in a post-Igbaji world. Like, they're going to be just fine at the two. Yeah. Like And, yeah. and like, you pick DeLon Wright because you can play a little bit of one and a little bit of two. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, Ricky's going to be playing a lot of one. And, um, and honestly, and, like, if you look at Wright, why are you going to, like, as much as I like him, at the same time, Isaac Okoro was in the 54th percentile in playmaking talent, not that far off from DeLon Wright, and 67th in pass creation quality. As we know, he's a good passer like for those reps. And if you're not relying on Wright to provide you with playmaking and you're kind of asking him to be that defender alongside Colin or Darius, why are you not giving those minutes to Okoro? Like, you have to consider the developmental upside because we're not trying to make this roster a finished product for next season. It's still trying to build up and figure out what is the highest ceiling play. And for all those people that wanted to take developmental swings in the draft, whether it's someone like Jalen Williams, who's the same age as Okoro or Usman Jang, it takes reps. It takes some growing pains. And I I think we have to have an understanding that this isn't going to be a finished product next season. And there is still reasons to give someone like Isaac Okoro those reps over someone like DeLon Wright, as much as I'm a fan of his game. Yeah, uh, Andy Mulak in the chat said, Justin, I think you're DeLon wrong about this one. (laughs) It made me me laugh. Listen, it wouldn't be the first time I've been wrong on this here podcast and won't even be the last time of this summer. But I'm just trying to illustrate a point and just say that there is a statistical argument behind this, basically, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, the, the reality is, I think, uh, and like, I, I think you're, I personally think you're a little bit overrating some of these playmaking metrics and probably I don't, I don't think they all the way account for like just point guard crap, like the, Hey, you need to get over there. Like yeah, there, the, there's the, stuff that's never going to be traffic. captured in me- and, metrics. Yeah. And a guy like Howell Neto can do that in a way that I just don't think Colin can do right now. Um, Which is why I'm advocating for adding a, a kind of a real point guard, someone that can set the table and calm them down because i i think damn it andy mulak just said i'm gonna be honest i didn't even disagree with him i just needed to get the joke off (laughs) see that is someone that understands the podcast that is someone that understands what we are all about here and uh i I will note one name i didn't mention is tyus jones the reason i didn't mention him i know everyone's like well they drafted kennedy chandler like they, they might move on from him they are not letting the insurance policy for john morant be Kennedy Chandler, they I think they moved off Melton so that they could pay Tyus Jones because Melton mm-hmm. had money on his contract there. I, I I think he's back with Memphis. I think he's going to be out of the price range. Uh, someone like Monte Morris is maybe a little interesting, although trade his playma- candidate. Although his playmaking metrics aren't fantastic, and, and once again, that's a tr- trade candidate there. So 
Uh, if you went that direction, you're not impacting the roster crunch because you, you'd be moving someone from the kind of 13 roster spots that uh, are already spoken for at this time. But I, I don't know if he's necessary, necessarily the, the playmaking set the table type of guard uh, that we're talking about wanting with this group. No, probably not. Um, you know, I, I actually am at the point now where like short of a of a of a big kind of swing trade or even a small swing type of trade like a trade for McConnell like I'd rather just get some insurance pieces in yep. free agency run it you know, back. take care of business with Colin um you know I I'm actually even though the Ricky stuff I'm a little cooler on it I'm just not going to worry about it cuz I think that's your ninth or 10th man mm-hmm. um uh, and you know the, you're really betting on the rest of this core to 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 lead you into the playoffs and you know I I think that 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 I'm 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 not like freaking out about however free agency goes down. Like, would I would I maybe just straight up pursue someone like Howell Neto over Ricky Rubio, who I'm pretty worried about from an injury perspective? Maybe, but I see the case, and yeah. like ultimately, like all I and, have and to we're do risk adverse, is see the right? Case. Like, yeah, you and I are risk adverse, and we like the the pieces that are already in place. And I think it's important to note, like when people say run it back, guys aren't running it back. There, there's going to be an adjustment period next season because even if Sexton gets signed to an extension and no other major moves are made, Sexton and Levert have never played on the same team together. Um, Ochai Abaji is a brand new piece. There are going to be significant parts of this rotation that have not played minutes together, and, and I have a hard time believing they would leave two other roster spots open. So you're talking about five out of the 15 uh, spots on, on this rotation being new players that haven't played together with this unit. So there is going to be an adjustment period when it comes to the Cavs next year. And no matter what, running it back is never going to be that accurate of a description of next season. No, it will not. Um, but, you know, we're going to we're going to find out. I think the guys are going to take care of their business pretty quick. At least I hope That'd they do. Nice. Free agency opens at six on Thursday Eastern. So uh, I, I, I hate the Canada Day start to free agency, Carter, because I'm I'm always out of town with sketchy like cell phone reception. Uh, if massive stuff happens over the weekend, I'm sorry. We're we're probably going to have to wait in, until Tuesday to do the podcast, Carter. Yeah. I, I hate to break jokes that on you, buddy. I'm I'm recording without your ass. Okay, well, I mean that's that's fine as well. I get it. I understand where you're coming from. We'll see. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I hope everything gets resolved quickly. I will say of the trade candidates. I think my favorite is Alec Burks. I would love a reunion there if the Knicks are looking to shed salary and there's some I way that I still got my eyes on old Gordon. I'll never I'll never quit him, <laughs> Justin. Gordon Hayward. Uh who old knows? Gordon. I, I, I mean uh Mitch Kupchak did say that uh they are going to bring Miles Bridges back. So uh maybe they need to shed some salary because of that. Uh that that would certainly uh make the wing rotation a little more cramped, but um, I, I thought this was at least interesting. I completely agree, Carter. I don't think these playmaking metrics are the be-all, end-all uh, when it comes to playmaking talent. Um, like I said, the thing that's not captured in averages is kind of those tendencies, right? Like, And I, I do think Levert and Sexton can get sped up. We are still talking about Sexton coming off a major injury as well. We don't know if he's going to be himself. So to rely on him for such a major role, there's an element of risk in that as well. Justin, I uh, I know we need to wrap because my daughter just slammed on the door to clearly say goodnight to me. But I did just get a correction uh, sent to me. Uh, the uh, free agency does not start at 6 p.m. The moratorium starts on Thursday at 6 p.m. And that is a very important distinction to make. So my well, apologies. Uh, I can't believe it, Carter, that you wouldn't look into the proper research and, and <laughs> of be course prepared I for don't. this podcast. Well, um, they... There, I have a brand to maintain, Justin. You know, we we don't both do, and I I think we've uh, we've played our roles well today. I've uh, played my role as ranting lunatic pretty pretty well today. I think I, I think I, I think I mixed some good points in there, Carter. Yeah, you did, buddy. The the uh, we'll see what our retention rate is as you start explaining those metrics. Oh I think it's God. just gonna. That's probably going to go over people's heads. That's I. I just want to do it on the front end. I hate just when people... just hit the plus thir- plus thirty second a couple times, guys, <laughs> and you'll you'll get right through it. <laughs> I, I don't think instructions after the fact are going to be that helpful. But you know what? That's that's a the problem. joke was there though. That's that's our problem for the listeners. Much like so. our bu- much like our guy Andy Mulock, we we care more about getting jokes off than being factual. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for free agency to start. We didn't talk Darius Garland at all because I, I think we both kind of expect an extension there. And if we don't get one, we probably have a lot to talk about next week. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. If you want to support us on YouTube, you can like and subscribe. Click that notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Downs exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go okay. chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen and with resi priority notify and global dining access through my amex platinum card right this way it's nice to try someone else's food for a change that's the powerful backing of american express terms apply learn more at americanexpress.com slash with amex you're a growing business which means you need every spare hour you can find that's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in slack slack is where work happens with all your people data and information in one ai powered place start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites or build an automation with workflow builder to take routine tasks off your plate no coding required grow your business in slack visit slack.com to get started if a new house is on your wish list in the next five years grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an ohio homebuyer plus account from kemba financial credit union a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn seven percent apy a 500 matching bonus and a 1500 mortgage closing cost credit learn more at kemba.org offer expires march 31st 2025 apy equals annual percentage yield restrictions apply nmls 292230 equal housing lender federally insured by ncua